This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hi, welcome to the Suffolk Law School IP Issues Podcast, periodic programs on intellectual property issues hosted by Lando and Anastasi. I'm Tom McNulty, an IP litigator with the Cambridge, Massachusetts Law Firm, Lando and Anastasi, where our practice includes all areas of intellectual property law. You can learn more about our firm at our website, www.lalaw.com. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss patentable subject matter, both in the United States and abroad. And joining me today is Greg Gerstensang. He's an associate of mine over at Lando and Anastasi, does a lot of patent prosecution and counseling work. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. As you know, the concept of what constitutes patentable subject matter in the United States is set forth in the Patent Law Statute Section 101. There has been a lot of activity in the courts recently with regard to interpreting this statute and determining what constitutes patentable subject matter and what is not. An example would be the recent case of Myel versus Prometheus, where a diagnostic method was analyzed for whether it constituted patentable subject matter or not. It turned out that the court decided that it was not, that the method was essentially reciting a law of nature and was not deserving of patent protection. The Supreme Court also remanded a fairly highly followed case called Association for Molecular Pathology versus Myriad Genetics, which had to deal with the patentability of isolated DNA. That case was remanded back to the Federal Circuit in light of the decision in Myel versus Prometheus. And in a, another recent case in the Federal Circuit, MySpace versus Graphon, the Federal Circuit referred to the Section 101 jurisprudence as being a murky morass. So there's quite a bit of confusion and uncertainty surrounding Section 101 in the United States currently that we'll see how it plays out in court decisions in the future. But in light of this recent uncertainty, it would be a good idea to take a step back, sort of analyze some of the policies behind the decision of what constitutes patentable subject matter both in the United States and abroad and perhaps give some practice tips on how to draft claims so that you're ensured that you can meet these requirements of what constitutes patentable subject matter. I guess starting first in the United States, where does the power to grant a patent come from? Well, the United States is somewhat unique in the world in that the power to grant patents is specifically set forth in our Constitution. This is at Article 1, Section 8, where the Constitution states that Congress shall have the power to promote the progress of the useful arts by securing for limited times to inventors the exclusive right to their discoveries. That clause in the Constitution led to the enactment of Section 101, which recites that a patent shall be granted, or could be granted, shall I say, for any new and useful process, machine, manufacture, or composition of matter, or any new or useful improvement thereof. And that was considered fairly broad, and various commentators and some of the courts in the past have thought that that included pretty much, quote, anything under the sun that is made by man. Fortunately, as we've seen in recent years, there are quite a few limitations on what does constitute patentable subject matter. Okay. Why don't we get, go into some of the limitations, again, first dealing with the United States. Yeah. First, we should talk about why these limitations exist at all. Typically, they're due to public policy considerations. You don't want to remove certain ideas from the realm of public use or public knowledge. 
There are some ideas or some inventions that some jurisdictions would consider to be too important to grant a patent to. As you know, when you grant a patent on an idea or an invention, that patent affords the patentee the right to prevent others from making, using, or importing the patented article or practicing the patented method. Some methods or articles are considered not worthy of a patent because it would be contrary to public policy to uh, allow someone to prevent such methods from being used. For example, in some early cases in the United States, some inventions were considered to be, quote, to be free to all men and reserved exclusively to none. And Thomas Jefferson was reported to have once said that some inventions are not worth to the public the embarrassment of exclusive patent. Okay, so it seems like we're sorting out both sort of the higher and lower types of inventions from patentability. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of two kind of different public policy concerns that would be at play there. Yes, you're right. You have to balance the purpose of the patent system, which is you know to promote the progress of the useful arts, versus being allowing of overly broad patents that remove subject matter from the public sphere, which is more valuable or too broad or considered not properly removed. I think it's worth remembering that, and I think a lot of people miss this point, the patent system is not set up to reward somebody for inventing things. It's really set up to encourage people to disclose what they have discovered or invented. And the way of encouraging that is to grant them this limited monopoly. Because it does sometimes sound odd that something could be so important that somebody shouldn't be rewarded for inventing it. But again, the point is not to reward them. It's to make things available to the public. And I think that's the policy goal that drives some of it, is some of this stuff is too important to afford a, a monopoly even for a limited time. Exactly. And as stated in an early statute in the UK, the Statute of Monopolies, they decided that patents would not be granted to inventions which were mischievous to the state or generally inconvenient. And other jurisdictions have considered other rationales for what considers patentable subject matter. These rationales can be based on considerations of social welfare, of morality, or even national security. In light of that, there are a number of things that are nearly universally unpatentable, and we can go into that. Generally, the statutes are of the various jurisdictions give a broad description of what does constitute subject matter, such as Section 101 that we mentioned earlier. And another example would be the European Patent Convention, which states that any inventions that are susceptible to industrial application are new and involve an inventive step may be patentable, which again is very broad. And there are a number of items or classes of items which are then listed as being unpatentable either in the statutes of various jurisdictions or established in the case law. In the United States, most of the quote-unquote non-patentable subject matter is, is found in the case law, not by statute. That's correct. Okay, well, why don't we discuss some examples of some of these things that are pretty much universally held not to be patentable. Okay. Almost universally, the simple discovery of a scientific principle or a law of nature or an abstract idea would not be patentable. Two examples that are commonly given in the literature and sometimes cited by the courts are that Albert Einstein would not have been able to receive a patent on his discovery of the mass-energy relationship E equals mc square. And similarly, Newton could not have patented the law of gravity or the equations regarding the law of gravity. Similarly, the mere discovery of a naturally occurring article would not entitle one to a patent on that article. For example, we cited in an early case in, in 
the United States, a new mineral discovered in the earth or a new plant found in the wild would not be something that you could grant a patent on. Or similarly, the discovery of a previously unknown property of a naturally occurring substance, you would not be able to patent that discovery. Okay, and just to clarify, you couldn't patent the discovery or the previously unknown property, but you could patent uses that stem from that property. Certainly, certainly. You couldn't patent the property in the abstract, but if you make use of that new property in some sort of new apparatus or some sort of new method that produces some sort of tangible or useful result, that could well be deserving of a patent. I guess moving on to some of the other areas that seem to be more relevant lately in the sort of business method and computer exactly. fields. Okay, yeah, an algorithm per se is generally considered not patentable. Algorithms per se would be, say, a method of thinking about something or a number of steps that would be done in a method of a business method or, say, a computer program. A pure algorithm by itself is typically not patentable unless it's applied in some sort of physical machine or produces some sort of physical result. So anything that can be performed as a purely mental process would not be patent eligible in most jurisdictions. And finally, one last category would be inventions which have no identifiable utility. For example, most jurisdictions would not let you patent a perpetual motion machine unless you could prove that it actually worked. And that's actually set forth in some of the statutes in some jurisdictions. For example, India has a statute that says that an invention that is frivolous or claims anything obviously contrary to well-established natural laws is not patentable. Like you said, these are areas that are generally, you know, jurisdiction by jurisdiction found to not be patentable subject matter. There are another set of areas that are commonly found not to be patentable subject matter, but not necessarily universally. Why don't we discuss some of those? One of the biggest ones is that many countries do not allow patents to issue on subject matter which they consider contrary to morality. In the United States, there is currently no moral requirement for an invention compared to these other countries where there are. For example, in the current version of the Manual of Patent Examination Procedures, it states that a rejection under 101 for lack of utility should not be based on grounds that the invention is frivolous, fraudulent, or against public policy. But that was not always the case. Early in the 19th century, in the case Lowell v. Lewis in 1817, which was one of the earlier cases in America dealing with the subject of what constitutes patentable subject matter, the judge set forth what was described as a moral utility requirement that patents should not issue on things that were morally repugnant. Some examples he gave were, for example, a new invention to poison people, to promote debauchery, or to facilitate public assassination. The United States Patent Office used this moral utility requirement in the later part of the 19th century and for a good part of the 20th century to reject applications on, well, specifically gambling apparatus or one of those inventions that were typically rejected on that basis. This happened until 1977 when the USPTO issued a decision in an appeal that gambling machines were no more or less moral than any other inventions and the dependability of these things should not be decided based upon issues of morality. And over the years, the moral utility requirement gradually faded away and is now no longer part of the U.S. law. Okay, that's not the case, though, in many other parts of the world. No. For example, in Europe, inventions the publication or exploitation of would be contrary to the order public or morality are unpatentable. Some examples of these 
or the cloning of humans, any application regarding a method of cloning a human or even for patenting a cloned human would be unpatentable. There are also various prohibitions against modifying the genetic germline identity of human beings or the use of human embryos for industrial or commercial processes or for genetically modifying the identity of animals. Although there are some exceptions to the last case there that animals could be genetically modified if doing so results in a benefit to man or other animals that outweighs the suffering that could be brought on the animals by such genetic modification. An example of that was that in 85, Harvard University applied for a patent on what they called a onco mouse, which was a mouse genetically engineered to be susceptible to various cancers that could be used in cancer research or for testing of cancer treatments. The patent on this mouse was initially rejected by the European Patent Office, but after a number of appeals, eventually was granted because it was decided that benefit to humans due to the research that could be done with this mouse outweighed the suffering that could be brought onto the mouse by the genetic modification. In the UK is another jurisdiction, part of Europe of course, but in the UK specifically, inventions that are expected to encourage offensive, immoral, or antisocial behavior are unpatentable. This is not necessarily inventions that are illegal, but just are immoral in the UK. In Europe, it's not really a question whether the invention would be illegal or legal or not, but more of whether it would be moral, whether it is legal or illegal. This is not the case everywhere. For example, in China, specifically states that inventions that are contrary to the laws of the state are unpatentable. I see there are similar laws in Japan in terms of inventions contrary to public order or morals or injurious to health, and a similar thing in India as well. Yep. And in addition, in some of the Middle Eastern states, for example, Saudi Arabia, the statutes make specific reference to the Islamic Sharia, or the Koran, and say that inventions that are contrary to the moral guidelines set forth in these documents would not be patentable. Okay, one other area that there is a bit of a distinction between U.S. patent law and some of the other countries' laws is in the method of treatment patents. Yeah, in a number of countries, it's determined that surgical methods or methods of treatment of the human body are something that should be available to the public pretty much immediately upon their discovery. It is considered that one should not be denied treatment for a specific disease or some sort of ailment when a treatment is known simply because someone had applied for a patent on that treatment. In the United States, in contrast, methods of medical treatment are patentable. However, by statute, a patentee cannot recover damages against a medical practitioner for practicing these medical methods. So it is patentable in the United States can you get an injunction against a doctor? No, you can't. So in some sense, the United States is effectively similar to Europe with preventing you from stopping a doctor from performing a medical procedure that you've discovered. And of course, the way around that in many circumstances, if you have claims that cover instrumentation or medical devices or things that are used in a surgical procedure, you can certainly get injunctive relief against the companies making those and at least effectively force doctors to buy from you. That is correct, yeah. There are a number of ways around that provision that we can discuss a little bit later on in the program. I know another area that some countries refer to is requiring inventions to have some industrial applicability as opposed to just 
generally being something new. Yes, that's founded in the laws of many jurisdictions, primarily Europe, specifically the UK, Israel, Russia, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, that the invention must be industrially applicable. This is in alignment with their idea of what the patent system is about. It's more designed to promote industry, to promote some sort of useful, be it manufacturing or economic activity within the state. So therefore, patents which are not applicable to industry would not be granted. It's a little bit vague in some of the decisions and some of the case law what it means to be industrially applicable, but at least in one example, I can tell you a method which was considered not to be industrially applicable. For example, in Europe, a inventor had devised a new method of contraception and sought a patent on it, but the invention was found to be directed more towards a private matter rather than being industrially applicable, and I think there was some dicta that was considered to be unpatentable also on some of the morality grounds with regard to contraception, but the official reason was that it was not industrially applicable. Methods of medical treatment were originally denied on the basis of being not industrially applicable because medical practice was considered to be a profession rather than an industry. Later on, that distinction was found to be you know, somewhat artificial, and they just became a blanket bar on the patentability of medical treatment methods without any reference to the industrial applicability rationale. Another consideration would be national security. For example, in the United States, it's not part of the Patent Act, but it's the Atomic Energy Act that stipulates that no patents shall hereafter be granted on inventions which are useful solely in the utilization of special nuclear material or atomic energy and an atomic weapon. That makes sense when you consider, again, the rationales for the patent system. One of the rationales being to disclose to the public the new or useful invention that you've devised. If people were patenting new methods of mass destruction, or weapons of mass destruction, it probably would be against the public policy of the United States to disclose those methods of making those weapons to the citizens of our country or our enemies. So that would be a rationale in the United States for denying patentability for those sorts of things. And there are other countries that have actually broader bans on national security related yeah. patents. Inventions related to national defense are unpatentable in the UAE, and inventions related to atomic energy are unpatentable in India and to an extent in China as well. Another interesting one was chemical products without regard to the process of manufacturing. This prohibition evolved in the UK in Patent and Design Act of 1907. What was happening at the time was that Germans were somewhat more advanced than the UK in some areas of chemical manufacture. So a German chemical company would ask for or be granted a patent in the UK on a certain chemical. And then they would make the chemical in Germany, export it into the UK where it would be used. This did not bring any kind of benefit to the UK in terms of manufacturing jobs or advancing the economy of the United Kingdom because all the profits from these chemicals were going back to Germany. So the UK enacted an act that stated that they would not grant a patent on a chemical unless the patent was directed to the method of manufacturing the chemical. By doing so, they ensured that any kind of new invention of a chemical would have to be manufactured in the UK if it was to be granted a patent, therefore bringing some sort of economic benefit to the United Kingdom. 
this provision was eventually abandoned by the Patent Act of 1949 in the UK. It still does exist in certain countries, two examples being India and the UAE. And that would be countries that were once part of the British Empire, so that yes. might be the reason that it lingers there. Okay, well, we've discussed some of the areas that are and are not patentable and some of the differences between countries. The sort of important takeaway from all this is what do you do about it? You have to craft your patent strategy to target regions or target your claims if you're going into specific regions so that you do not run afoul of the prohibitions against patentable subject matter. One of the important considerations when you're filing for patents in multiple countries, if you're using the PCT route, the Patent Cooperation Treaty, is deciding which search authority or which receiving office you should send your application to. As we discussed, Europe does not allow patenting of methods of medical treatment. Similarly, the Korean Patent Office will not grant a patent on such methods. So if you're going to be seeking to file a PCT application regarding methods of medical treatment, you would choose the United States as your receiving office and searching authority because they will provide a, a search and give you an opinion on the patentability of it. Similarly, for computer programs, we discussed earlier that algorithms per se are not patentable in most jurisdictions. Korea, however, is somewhat more permissive with regard to computer-related inventions so if you have a computer-related invention, a computer program that you want to have analyzed or examined in the PCT, you probably want to choose Korea versus Europe or the United States to send your application to. That's a good point in terms of where you send your application to. We should also talk about how you draft claims to be able to cover what it is you want to do in some of the countries where what you want to do may or may not be allowable. Okay. As we discussed earlier with regard to methods of medical treatment, most jurisdictions do not allow patents on the methods themselves. So as you mentioned earlier, Tom, one way around this would be if there was a specific instrument, an apparatus that was useful in performing the medical treatment, you could try to apply for a patent on that apparatus. Similarly, if there is a specific compound or a drug that is useful in the medical procedure, or for a treatment for a disease. In many countries, you can frame the claim in terms of what's called a second medical use claim or a Swiss claim. This claim generally reads the use of a substance, whatever it might be, substance X, in the manufacture of a medicament or a medicine for the treatment of a condition, whatever the condition may be, condition Y. So you're effectively just cutting the person who has the condition out of the claim? Yes. Okay, how about as regards to computer programs? Computer programs, again, in the United States, we're still struggling with how concrete the claim has to be, what constitutes abstract, what is a real patentable effect has to be for the computer program to be patentable. In Europe, for a computer program to be patentable, the program has to have a technical effect. A technical effect being a benefit that does not relate to the computer program itself, but with regard to the way the program is implemented and the effects of the program. For example, the computer program would have a technical character when it has the potential to cause a predetermined technical effect going beyond the normal physical interactions between the program and the computer on which it's run. For example, if the program results in the computer program processing data faster, or in the computer using less memory to store data, or to provide a user interface, these benefits could 
be the technical effect that would allow the computer program to be patentable subject matter in Europe. I know China has some unique things with regards to computer programs as well. Well, China does not specifically set out computer programs as unpatentable per se, but they will analyze computer programs in other what we might call abstract inventions such as business methods under a three-pronged test. To be patentable, the invention must solve a technical problem by a technical measure. It takes advantage of the laws of nature to produce a technical effect. That definition may be somewhat circular because it still leaves you wondering what is technical. So there are some examples given in the examination procedures in China. For example, if the computer is used in industrial process control, or if the software sought to be patentable improves the computer internal processes, or if the computer is used in control or measurement or test processes used in external data processing, or in a specific example, used in coding and inputting Chinese characters, then the computer software might be patentable. And in Japan, software-related inventions for them to be patentable, they must be a creation of technical ideas using a law of nature, where information processing by the software is concretely realized using hardware resources. Examples of what might constitute patentable computer-related software inventions in Japan might be when the invention concretely performs control of an apparatus or processing with respect to the control, or information processing based on the physical or technical properties of an object. For example, the rotation rate of an engine or rolling temperature of an alloy. Moving on to some of the differences in the patentability of chemical claims. I know you had said that there were some countries that still sort of don't allow the patenting of a chemical without reference to the yeah, method in which it's made. Exactly, and as I mentioned, most countries have abandoned this prohibition, but they do exist in countries such as India and the United Arab Republics for certain classes of chemical compounds. And as I mentioned before, they will typically allow the patent if you frame the claim as a method of manufacturing of the chemical rather than a claim directed to the chemical itself. That, of course, has the negative effect of when somebody puts a chemical on the table in front of you, you don't know how it was made, and it makes determining infringement harder. But at least it allows you to get something. And then I guess the last kind of area that we should discuss, which is one of the other areas that's been in a fair amount of flux, is the business method area. Business methods have been litigated quite a bit recently in the United States, and there's still not a lot of clear guidance on what has to be included in a business method claim to make it patentable. In some of the other countries, there is at least a little bit of guidance. For example, in Japan, if a business method uses the internet or a computer as an integral part of the business method, that may suffice to make the application patentable. But if a previously known business method is adapted to a computer or internet application, it's considered novel only if the computer or internet application itself is novel. Simply utilizing a general-purpose computer or a general-purpose website, if you can consider such a thing, to run a previous business method might not be sufficient to allow the invention to be considered patentable in Japan. How about in Europe? In Europe, claims that implement a business method, again, using specific apparatus or producing a technical effect, might be considered patentable. For example, if you're using a computer instead of humans to process secret or private data that would increase the security or confidentiality of the data, that would be an effect that 
could not be realized using just a simple mental step. And so that would be a concrete use of the computer in the business method and, and maybe a patentable method. And again, if you can tie your business method to a specific apparatus or a process using a specific apparatus as an integral part of the business method, the application for the patent will be examined under the same three requirements as any other invention that it possess industrial applicability, novelty, and inventive step. Okay, and why don't we touch base on how the Chinese deal with business method patents yes. as well? In China, again, they will apply their three-pronged test to the business method claim. Whether it solves a technical problem by a technical means, it takes advantage of laws of nature to produce the technical effect. And business methods, as an example, involving a computer program may be deemed to provide a technical measure if, similar to Japan, if the method controls an industrial process, processes external data, or improves the performance of a computer system through the execution of the computer program. So if you're going to be drafting a business method claim in China, the business method should outline the technical effect achieved by the business method also include a recitation of the technical means or the technical measure used to result in the technical effect and may even make a mention of the technical problem being solved, perhaps in the preamble of the claim. Well, this has certainly been an interesting look at patentable subject matter around the world. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Tom. If anyone has any further questions, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can contact me at Lando and Anastasi. Again, you can go to our website, www.lalaw.com, and you can find me on that website. Again, my name is Greg Gerstenzang. If you wish to contact me by email, my email address is on the website, or you can use G Gerstenzang, G-G-E-R-S-T-E-N-Z-A-N-G at lalaw.com. Okay, and if anyone wants to get in touch with me for anything, I'm at T-M-C-N-U-L-T-Y at LALaw.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you all have a good day. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.